only a flurry. A thin blanket of white, something to take the gray mounds of snow and make them new. It began at dawn and fell over the blighted grass and the frozen river, turning everything beautiful for a moment. Jean Devlin started her car, the valiant wagon she used for errands. Soon the car was warm enough to drive, and Jean made the reverse up the steep curve, then backed into the roadside pull-off, where most delivery drivers chickened out and parked. They'd rather hand-carry a refrigerator than make the plunge, but Jean could do it blindfolded. Actually, everyone gave up and parked here. It was true. Over the years, she'd widened the pull-off to something almost stately, with a stone wall framing a pretty stone stair that zigzagged under the spruce trees. She'd made those steps walkable. No matron climbing down for a house tour would tumble off her slingbacks and sue. Every summer for the last five, Jean's quiet little cape had made the designer's showcase. The star, the best of the best, her father crowed. Jean idled on the ridgetop and watched the snow sift down through the branches and thought of him. Her father, studying her face, so like his own, assessing. You never have to be anyone else, he liked to say. Just tell them who you are. I'm Clyde Bowles' daughter, she'd shout when tiny, and he'd find her a silver dollar. Then she was nineteen years old, and he was giving her a wedding gift. He'd just won Gooseneck Cove, and on this day, they were taking a closer look. Her father, stiff-legged even then, shoved aside the goldenrod grown thick in the trace of a gravel drive. She lifted her skirt high so she wouldn't spoil her sundress. They sidestepped down and stood in an open patch of long, wet grass. Blue spruce and birches made a wide-open circle, like the property was an amphitheater set to watch the drama of the river. The house was rotted up to the caved-in roof. Crows screeched from the trees at their intrusion, and a water rat slid out through a broken window into a break in the cattails. Jean screamed, and her father pulled her close to his chest. Don't be daft, Jeanie. It's a mouse. A stench like something dead and decaying canceled the wet, soft, piney air. But she could still feel it on her skin, and she turned to see what the blue needles did shivering, reflected in the water. What she'd make of all this. What a talent she had. Everyone said so. Then they climbed back up the ridge, Jean stepping like a deer, on the lookout for garter snakes. Today, Jean would speak to Dr. Crabtree about some kind of sedation for the dog. Nick had laughed at her idea. She's not that bad, he said but how would he know? Now a sweet, sickening aroma filled up the car. Between the house and the cage, the miniature poodle had somehow rolled in manure. One year, she told Nick. She'd give him the year. That's all he needed. That's what he'd said at Thanksgiving. That's all he was asking for. One year with her in London, making things gorgeous, and then they'd see. Because how can we keep this going? he said. And finally, she was willing to wonder that herself. Even so, she looked at her gray shingle house, tucked into the ridge, overlooking the best stretch of the river for miles, and felt she belonged only here. 
Fifteen years since her father's poker crony gave up the tiny cove on the Navasink River. And what Jean had done with it. But how could they keep going? Other people wondered, and some had the nerve to say so aloud. Today, no doubt, Mimi Crabtree would be at the door of the barn, narrating her very limited understanding of Jean's situation.